The following sermon was delivered by Executive Pastor Charlene Han Powell during morning worship at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith every Sunday on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. And now, here is Dr. Han Powell. Our first scripture reading of the day comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things? and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? 
that same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. God. Friends, it is so good to be with you all again. A special thank you to those of you who have become a part of our online worshiping community these past few weeks. We are humbled that you have made us a part of your Sunday routine. By now, I imagine many of you have begun to establish new routines throughout your week, new rhythms for your day. Maybe your morning coffee now comes with a phone call to a friend. Maybe you've mastered the art of how to work from home. Maybe you've picked up a new hobby or book or ritual. A few weeks back, my family adopted a new post-dinner tradition. Every night at 7 p.m., Jordan, my girls, and I head out to our balcony along with our neighbors and we rock out. We scream and we shout, we bang on pots and pans, but most of all, we clap. We clap because we care. We care about the heroes in our midst from first responders to healthcare heroes to essential workers. Now, I love this ritual because for a few minutes every night, all you hear is a cacophony of sound. For a few minutes every night, strangers are united by our intense gratitude for the selfless civil servants in our midst. For a few minutes every night, those of us who are fortunate enough to be sheltered at home get to say thank you to those who are out on the front lines. Recently, I was lucky enough to say thank you to one of these heroes personally. It all started on Wednesday when my friend sent me this article from The New Yorker entitled, The Plight of a Hospital Chaplain During the Coronavirus Pandemic. It tells the story of a chaplain by the name of Caitlin Butler, who works at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. I was so blown away by her wisdom and courage amidst this crisis that I did the only thing a good pastor would do in this situation. I DM'd her on Instagram. After a quick text exchange with Caitlin, I learned that for the past few months, she has been attending Fifth Avenue Church. And for the past few weeks, she has been joining us online. I told her that her church family would be praying for her, and I need you all to help me keep that promise. You see, Caitlin didn't always plan on being a hospital chaplain. Like many career paths, it was an opportunity that presented itself after she graduated from seminary. But one day, when she was going through a particularly hard time herself, one of her fellow chaplains simply sat with her and wept. It was in that very moment that she understood what the job meant and what God was calling her to do. To sit with people in their pain. Due to COVID-19, hospital chaplains are no longer able to enter into their patients' rooms. Instead, they call their patients on the phone, they stand at their doorways and pray, 
and they care for their family members and medical team members. While weeping in the stairwell of the hospital, one nurse asked Caitlin if she was going to hell. Her patients were dying, and she wanted to know if God would hold her responsible. Another nurse asked her where God was in all of this. And while Caitlin doesn't believe there is one right answer to this question, she doesn't see the disaster as something that is made or wrought by God. She said, I think God shows up in the places where people are trying to save lives and clean up this mess that others have mismanaged. And that God was right there, crying with them. I couldn't agree more. A week ago, our church, along with churches around the world, did our small part in protecting the most vulnerable in our midst by celebrating our very first virtual Holy Week and Easter. We didn't gather together in our beautiful sanctuary. We didn't get to experience communion or the choir in person. Many of you tuned in from your homes and apartments. Some of you from your hospital beds or in quarantine. It wasn't very festive. And yet so many of you told us this particular Easter felt more sacred than any year prior. Now, why is that? Well, I think it's because at our core, we know that Christianity, our faith tradition, our God, isn't just about good news and good times. We know that a life of faith means being perpetually wedged in that sacred space between hope and lament, joy and sorrow, life and death. The question for us as people of faith is how are we called to exist in that space? In an email to the church this past week, Senior Pastor Scott noted that in the Bible, there are plenty of times when bad things happen. Plagues come, armies invade. Individuals, families, and entire societies face trials and tragedy. And scripture promises that God stands with people in these troubling circumstances. And then, often when the world looks especially bleak, God calls on the faithful to rise. The prophet Isaiah has a special name for these individuals. He calls them oaks of righteousness. Now, I don't know about you, but especially now, I love this idea of a sturdy oak standing tall and holding up those in need, those in pain, those who are oppressed. It makes sense. Scripture gifts us these powerful images so we can lean on them during times exactly like this. So we at Fifth Ave are going to do just that. For the next few weeks, we are going to come back to Isaiah's words and put them in conversation with other passages from the Bible. And we are going to ask ourselves what it means to be an oak of righteousness, what it means to be faithful during such hard and painful times. With that, let's turn our attention to our passage from Luke. This is probably my favorite Easter story in all of the Gospels because it kind of sounds like a conversation you would hear on the streets of New York. It would be like someone walking up to a line of people waiting outside of Trader Joe's, all standing six feet apart and wearing their masks, and then asking them, 
What is going on here? Why are you guys doing that? And I am certain that any and every New Yorker would respond exactly like the disciples did. Um, are you the only person in the world who doesn't know what's going on right now? In the case of our passage, the stranger definitely knows what's going on. How could he not? After all, it's his life and death they're talking about. But he plays along. Because not only are these poor souls scared and fearful, Jesus knows that they are hurting, grieving. After all, they just lost someone they loved with all their heart. My guess is like so many of us, like so many of Caitlin's patients, the disciples just want someone to talk to, someone who will listen, someone who will understand. It doesn't hurt that this stranger bears a striking resemblance to someone they once knew. They can't quite put their finger on why, but being in this man's calming presence is comforting them somehow, and so they beg the stranger to stay. And he does. Jesus dines with them, he blesses and breaks bread with them, and then he sits with them in their pain. I think one of the hardest things about this crisis is how helpless so many of us feel. We are told that the best thing we can be doing right now is to do nothing at all, to stay at home, to cover our faces, to keep a distance from one another. It goes against everything we have come to believe about ourselves, about the world, about God. In just one month, we have been forced to rethink the way we work, the way we interact, the way we live, the way we love, the way we die. It's true. Nothing will ever be the same again nor should it be. Friends, we cannot emerge from this the same people or communities that we were before. In the midst of all that is happening, I believe that God is calling us to stand tall and hold up those who are in need, those who are in pain, those who are oppressed. And the best place to start is by doing exactly what Caitlin Butler does every day at work, what Jesus did with his disciples after his death, what strong and mighty oak trees do in the midst of all that life throws our way, and that is to simply sit with people in their pain. Now, before you give me some line about how you are a doer and not a sitter, before you tell me that this all sounds too easy or weak, Hear me out, because being with and sitting with someone in the midst of their hardship means not only listening to what they have to say, but also holding the hard truths and the deep pain they have to bear. And I assure you, there is nothing easy or weak about that. You see, some of the pain you will witness is universal, like the fear of death, the fear of losing a loved one, the fear of suffering. And some of the pain you will discover is more personal, like anxiety over finding a job, paying rent, buying food, keeping one's family together. But some of the pain you will find runs far deeper than just one virus can cause, like anger over the broken systems we are living in and for many dying because. 
outrage at the rampant inequality that is only deepening every single day, sadness over our communal brokenness, over our collective sin. Sitting with someone means seeing them, seeing the world, and seeing what God is calling us to do and be with eyes wide open. Acknowledging how we might be a part of the solution and admitting how we might be a part of the problem. It takes great strength and courage to do this kind of work, but we don't have to do it alone. Whether we are the ones who are mourning or we are the ones providing comfort, Jesus will find us along the journey. Join us at our table, bless and break bread with us, and then sit with us in our pain. For the only way we can be oaks of righteousness is with Jesus as our roots. For those of you who are watching this on a Sunday, I am happy to report that right now, Caitlin Butler is getting a day off to rest. I asked her what her new routines are as she prepares for another week at the hospital. She told me that most likely today, she will also watch a service at home, listen to some Dolly Parton, and like so many do with her, she will cry on the shoulders of her family and friends. She will allow herself to be held up by those who hold her dear, and she will rest in her faith, in her God, in our Savior. May you all do the same. Hear now this blessing. May the Christ who walks on wounded feet walk with you on the road. May the Christ who serves with wounded hands stretch out your hands to serve. May the Christ who loves with a wounded heart open up your hearts to love. May you see the face of Christ in everyone you meet. And may everyone you meet see the face of Christ in you. Amen.